Hi, how are you all? Solid. It's gross and cold outside, and it's kind of late, and it's the end of the semester. Shall we acknowledge all those things are true? Amen. All right, well, it's going to be a good night anyways. Uh, my name is Zach, and uh, some of you guys know me, some of you guys don't. Uh, I'm our pastor of middle and high school ministry here at Fellowship, and so uh, I've known some of you guys uh, since you were in middle school. I've known some of you guys since you were in high school. Some of you all serve in student ministry. Thank you so much. You all are wonderful people, and I love you. And some of you guys I've never met before. And so if that's you guys, it's so nice to meet you all. Um, Brian asked me a absurdly long time ago to speak tonight. I, it was like a year ago, and I don't even know how that's possible, but he's like, hey, do you want to teach in college life a year from now? I was like, I don't see why not. So here we are. Um, and he was like, hey, I'm going to introduce you, and then he's like, I'm not going to introduce you. You can do it yourself. So I brought some pictures. Um, this is my wife, Sarah, and I. Uh, she's beautiful, and she's a teacher, and we're holding ultrasound pictures because we're having a baby. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all want to know some news? Well, two of you do. <laughs> hey, quick note, sorry. Um, my normal gig is to talk to 12-year-olds, and they don't know what rhetorical questions are. And so I now am used to when I ask a rhetorical question, someone answering anyways. So just so I feel comfortable tonight, if I ask a question, please be like, sure, just humor me a little bit. It'll be fun, I promise. It might not be. So do you all know a little secret? Yeah. Today, we had our anatomy scan, and we found out the gender. But I'm not allowed to tell you yet because I have to wait till she posts on Instagram. So I'm sorry. <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. I... Well, not everybody knew about the appointment. It's fine. I know. It's fine. But we do have a dog, though. His name's Nelson. I can tell you that. Isn't he fun? You guys might not be able to tell. He's wearing a little Christmas bow tie because he's precious. Also, we don't take family pictures. So that's like three years ago when I didn't have any hair. Um, so I'm really excited to be with you guys tonight. That's my intro. That's it. Uh, I'm excited to be with you guys tonight uh, for a few reasons. One is I love teaching the Bible. Uh, I think it's the best, and I love that I get to do it. Two is because I've known some of you guys for a really long time, and it's just sweet to see your all's faces and uh, be with you guys again. Three is because... I didn't think this part through. Anyways, uh, we're going to be in the book of James again, in James chapter 1. Uh, and we're, tonight, we're going to finish up uh, the end of James chapter 1, which we've been in for a while together. And I'm really excited to do that. Uh, the title of tonight's message, if you're one of those people that takes notes and likes to have a title for that, is Are You Watching Closely? Uh, and if you're not a person that takes notes, that's totally fine. Uh, are you watching closely? And our text is James chapter one, verses 19 through 27. Uh, and Olivia did a great job of reading it, but I just kind of believe that the more we hear scripture, the more it shapes our hearts. So I'm gonna read that passage again, and then uh, we'll dive into it, if that's all right with you guys. Uh, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless." Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, 
to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege that it is to come into a space like this and worship you and acknowledge true things about who you are. Lord, I thank you for college students willing to come out to Fellowship Church on a really cold, really gross uh, Monday night. Lord, at the end of the semester, uh, when things are due and when uh, energy levels are low, Lord, I'm grateful for a group of people who faithfully show up week, and week, week in and week out to join together and pursue you with one another. Lord, tonight I ask that as we open your word that you would reveal yourself to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pierce through our hearts, that you would open up our eyes and our ears to see you and to hear your voice. Lord, even now as I prepare to teach, uh, Father, I pray that you would speak through me and that your words would be the ones that are heard tonight. Uh, Lord, we love you. And uh, God, we just ask that as we come together tonight, that as we walk out, that we would walk out loving you more than we loved you when we walked in and knowing you a little bit more deeply. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right, I wanna talk about a movie. It's called The Prestige. Anybody seen The Prestige? Sick. This is gonna go great. All right, so The Prestige uh, is about two competing magicians. Uh, and the, the whole premise of the movie is they start out kind of buddy-buddy, but then stuff goes wrong. They get in this competition. It's a dope movie. And if you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it. Maybe magic isn't your jam. Uh, I promise it's great. Christopher Nolan directed it. It's got Christian Bale. It's got uh, Hugh Jackman. It's got Scarlett Johansson. It's got Michael Caine because it's a you know Christopher Nolan movie, so it has to. Um, that was a funny joke, but nobody got it. It's fine. Um, anyways, The Prestige is great. And it's called The Prestige uh, because there's these three acts uh, to any magic act. And The Prestige is the third one. And I could explain it, but I'm just going to show you the trailer instead because Michael Caine has a way cooler voice than I do. And because uh, he makes it make a lot more sense. Uh, so I want to show you this trailer. And then we're going to start tying it together. And I promise this has something to do with the book of James. So if we could kill the lights and switch over to that, Grant, that would be Every magic amazing. Trick consists of three parts. The first part is called the pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary, a deck of cards, a bird, or a man. He shows you this object. Perhaps he asks you to inspect it. To see that it is indeed real. clap yet. 
because making something disappear isn't enough. You have to bring it back. That's why every magic trick has a third act. The hardest part. The part we call the prestige. Every Anyways, it's a cool movie. So there's these three acts. There's the, the pledge, there's the turn, the, there's the prestige. And the whole concept is at some point in this act, in some point in this trick, we're going to present what we're going to do, we're going to make something disappear, we're going to do the cool thing, and then we're going to bring it back. And it's going to be incredible. Uh, and before, one of the magicians, his name is Alfred Borden, does any of his tricks, he asks this question to get the audience's attention. He asks this question, he says... Are you watching closely? Are you watching closely? Because you don't want to miss a thing, right? Are you watching closely? Because I'm going to do something incredible before your very eyes, something that you've never seen before. Are you watching closely? Are you paying very careful attention? Are you watching closely? Now, uh, this may seem like a really nice thing for the magician to ask, right? Because obviously the magician's trying to get away from something. He, he's trying to pull something over our eyes that, that we don't catch. So this question, are you watching closely? It almost sounds like a nice invitation from a magician to try and level the playing field, right? But the reality of the movie, the reality of the question is that this question actually is where the deception starts. Because when he asks, are you watching closely, what he's hoping that you'll do is watch closely without watching carefully. And see, that's where the difference is in this magic act. Are you watching closely versus are you watching carefully? Because what he's trying to do is direct your attention to one thing. He's trying to get you so hyper-focused on what he's doing with his right hand that you don't pay any attention to what's going on with his left hand. He's trying to get you so focused on this one element of what's going on that you miss the bigger picture and you don't actually see what's happening. He's trying to get you so focused by watching closely that you're not actually watching carefully at all. And so it's in your close watching, this thing where you let all the other senses, all the other focus go so that you can pay so close of an attention to this one small element that the trick itself is able to actually occur. Are you watching closely? And of course, the most important element is that cool little line that Michael Caine says in the midst of talking to that little girl about magic, where he says, but of course, you're not really looking. You're not really looking because you don't actually want to know. You want to be fooled. You want to be fooled. See, when you show up to see this magic trick, you don't actually want to figure it out. That's not that exciting. The magic disappears when you know how he does it. You want to be fooled. Are you watching closely? Well, of course. Because why would I actually want to know the truth? What fun is that? Now, I don't know that Christopher Nolan meant to pick up on this deep truth about humanity. He probably did. He's a pretty cool filmmaker. But I think he stumbled onto something pretty deep uh, when he has this idea that we want to be fooled, right? We want to be fooled. We want to watch closely. We don't want to watch carefully because we don't want to know the truth. We would much rather be fooled. I think it's true of magic. I think it's also often true of our spiritual lives. Uh, and I am not the only one that thinks that. Uh, so does our, our guy, James. In fact, he wrote a book largely about our desire to be fooled. Now, James doesn't use the, you know, wording of magic. He talks about things like self-deception. Um, but the, the same concept is there. Are you watching closely? Are you looking for the truth? Or are you just allowing yourself to be fooled because it's a little bit easier that way? 
And in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, he says this. Uh, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. But when he looks at himself and he goes away, he at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And of course, it's in that language of deceiving yourselves that we we see that connection. James picks up on this idea that we want to be fooled and he takes it away from the imagery of, you know, some kind of magic show. And instead he applies it directly to the deepest things about who we are. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So the question I wanna ask tonight is, what does it mean to deceive yourself? What does it mean to be a person who is deceived? What does it mean to be a person who is watching closely without watching carefully? What does it mean to be a person who walks through life deceived? And James, he has a pretty simple formula in his book, and that's that hearing without acting leads to self-deception. That hearing, listening, without actually doing anything about it causes us to become deceived. To be a little more blunt about it, Showing up to church on Sunday morning and being at College Life on a Monday night. Check, check. Joining a small group. Check. Reading all the right stuff. Not just the Bible, also Francis Chan. We're going deep here. And I don't just read Francis Chan. I listen to 17 different podcasts. I listen to JC teach on Sunday, Brian teach on Monday, and a whole bunch of other folks throughout the week. I am a Christian. Cool. How's it affecting your life? Who are you becoming? See, it's really easy, and James picks up on this, for us to become so hyper-fixated on the things that we're taking in, for us to be so hyper-fixated on listening to the right folks, on reading the right stuff, on being in the cool Bible plan and checking off the box every day. It's so easy for us to be focused on having good theology and being able to go back and forth on cool debates about things like predestination and Calvinism and Arminianism and thinking about how do we understand substitutionary atonement and all these cool things. It's so easy to have all the right knowledge and have it have no effect on our lives whatsoever. It's easy to become someone who says, I'm a follower of Jesus because we're listening to all the right stuff, but we're not actually following Jesus anywhere. Hearing without acting leads to self-deception. And James here, he's talking about this relationship, this almost tension between the idea of faith and works. This is a central theme of the book of James. Uh, James chapter two will really launch off into this. This is where all the famous parts of the book are. Uh, But this idea of faith and works is absolutely central to what James is trying to teach to the people who are reading the letter that he wrote. And faith and works, it it begins, uh, while while it's heavy in chapter two, it starts off here in chapter one. Um, and this is a, a relationship between faith and works that uh, it's got some, some real tension to it uh, because we live in a world in which, uh, and we live not just in a world, we live in a, a time of history and especially in the church where these two things, the relationship seems to be less of a, uh, trying to figure out the balance between them and more of a uh, two things that are opposed to one another. That we, ha- we have to not just figure out how these two things work together, but that it's actually a question of can faith and works actually coexist at all? And the reason for that is a guy named Martin Luther. Uh, if you've heard of Martin Luther, awesome. Uh, not the greatest picture of him, but that's okay. 
Uh, Martin Luther uh, was a German monk, and he lived, uh, let's see, this is about 510, 520 some odd years ago. Uh, and what you need to know about Martin Luther, in order for this to all make sense, is that uh, he lived in a time where uh, the Catholic Church was all that there was in Christianity. Now, we live in a time today where we think about Protestantism, Catholic, Catholicism, woo, guys, I'm normally going to bed at this point. Sorry about that. Catholicism, uh, and maybe you haven't heard of those terms. Uh, if you haven't, that's okay. Uh, Catholicism is the Catholic Church, and Protestantism uh, is everything in Western Christianity that's not the Catholic Church. And so we at Fellowship would be under that category of Protestantism. For reference. Uh, now, when Martin Luther was hanging out, there was just the Catholic Church. They didn't even call themselves the Catholic Church. They called themselves the Church Catholic. It's fine. And the Catholic Church uh, had this teaching, and actually had several teachings. And uh, Martin Luther, who was a monk, who was studying the scriptures, came to have some really serious issues with the way that the Catholic Church was teaching the Bible. Because the Catholic Church essentially had a teaching of salvation by works. The idea that if you can do all the right things, say all the right prayers, maybe pay a little bit of the, you know, the right money, then you can earn your salvation. And in fact, not only can you earn it, you have to earn it. You have to be good enough. You have to show up to the mass. You have to show up to confession. You have to say the right prayers. You have to do all the right things in order to be saved, in order to be a follower of Jesus. And Martin Luther, he bought in. He was deep in this. That's actually why he became a monk. He was trying so hard to be good enough and to be righteous enough before God. He was doing crazy things to try and make sure that he was good enough, that he did enough of the right works that he might be right before God. And then one day he was reading the book of Romans and he comes across this passage that says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And Luther, he comes across these words like grace and like faith. And he says, there's a problem here because the church Catholic has been teaching that it's salvation by works, that if we do the right stuff, then we can be right before God. And Luther goes, that's not right. We need to have a protest, which is why we call it Protestantism. And he says, it's not salvation by works. It's salvation by faith alone. And he comes in and he says, you don't understand. You can't be good enough to be right before God. You have to have the right faith, not the right works. And 500 years later, we're still saying yes to that. And that's a good thing because that's true. But Luther he, uh, he really wrestled with this idea of faith and works uh, because he rightly saw that the Catholic Church had taken it too far. But then he began to really ask, like, how do we understand this relationship? It got to the point that Luther actually read the book of James and was like, I don't know about that one. Maybe we should get rid of that one. He didn't. He was right. He, he, he came back to the right side of things. But uh, Luther really wrestled with this relationship between faith and works. And 500 some odd years later, we do too. With this idea that, hey, I, I get a little uncomfortable when someone starts talking about how I'm supposed to live because I don't want to get into legalism. I don't want to get into this thing where someone's saying like, oh, you've got to be good enough to earn your salvation. You've gotta be good enough so that God will forgive you of your sins. You gotta do the right stuff so that you can be in relationship with him. We get uncomfortable around that stuff. And so when we start talking about this idea that like your works matter, it can get a little sticky. 
because we've been down a road where we got way off the deep end into that. But James here, he, he, he doesn't mind getting into the awkward, weird stickiness of it. He's not too concerned about how we're gonna understand what he's trying to say. Instead, he's saying, here's the deal. You're right. You can't earn your salvation. Can't do it. But he does say, hey, here's the thing though. Your works still matter. The way you live your life still matters. You're right, it's true. You can't be good enough to get God's love. But your works do matter. He says, listen, the way that you live your life, it doesn't determine your salvation. But here's the thing, your salvation, your righteousness with God, yeah, that better determine the way that you live your life. You can't do enough good stuff to become a follower of Jesus. But if you're a follower of Jesus, to paraphrase James, you'd best be doing some good stuff. And here's why. James' understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is is that the Christian life is by nature a formational experience. By its very nature, following Jesus is an experience that forms us, that shapes us, that changes who we are, both at the internal level, but also working its way out into the external level. Yes, following Jesus, the first change, the first shift is that God replaces a heart of stone and makes it into a heart of flesh. The first shift, it's all internal. It's all God saying, you are righteous before me, not because of anything you've done, but because Jesus has declared you righteous. That's true. But as we follow Jesus, as that is true of us, it begins to shape not just our status before God, but also the way that we live our lives. James understood the Christian life to be formational by nature, or to put it another way, James understood that following Jesus causes you to become more like him. Not overnight, but man, year by year, decade by decade, Following after Jesus begins to shape you, begins to form you, begins to make you look more like him. There's a reason that throughout scripture, we can read metaphors that talk about fruit. And it's this idea that that if we're following Jesus, we're like a tree that's been planted in the ground. And if that tree is healthy, if that tree is growing, it's going to produce fruit. It's a byproduct of the fact that that tree is alive. And James and the other authors of scripture, they understand that that's true of us as followers of Jesus too, that if we're truly following after him, that over time, that reality is gonna start shaping us. It's gonna start forming us. It's gonna start changing the way that we live. And so James, he he comes back around and he says, okay, great. You're showing up to the church services. You're starting to understand scripture. You're, I don't know, in a small group or something like that. I don't know if they had those back then. Is it shaping your life? Is it changing the way that you live? Because if the answer is no, here's the thing, friends, you might be deceiving yourselves. You might be deceiving yourselves. Because the Christian life is by its very nature a formational experience. And that's not an easy truth to digest. It's not fun to have the guy that's supposed to be shepherding you and caring for you and encouraging you coming in and being like, hey, bud, you're lying to yourself. But James, as you'll find out as you go deeper into this book, doesn't really care about your feelings. 
but he does care deeply about your formation. He cares deeply about who you're becoming because so does Jesus. And so James, in, in James chapter one, as he begins to pivot into where the rest of the book is going, as he begins to pick up this theme that's gonna dominate a lot of what he's gonna say as he moves on with this relationship between faith and works and a faith that produces good works, he, he starts off by saying, hey, listen, here's the thing. Don't just show up and hear the right stuff. Don't just try and make sure you have the right belief. Don't just listen to all the right people. Don't just read the right books. Start looking at who you're becoming. Because if you're just showing up and listening and you're not actually acting on it, you're deceiving yourselves. And James, he's not alone in this. This is kind of a common theme in the time. Uh, There's a lot of rabbinical literature that picks this stuff up. Uh, We're not gonna go super deep into this because that's kind of boring, but that's fine. Um, There's this guy named Simeon, but he picks picks up on the same idea. We're actually just gonna skip by this. It's not that important. Thought it was gonna be more important. That's okay. Uh, Jesus also says some stuff about this. We're not gonna skip this part because it's very important. Um, I'm gonna be honest. I almost said the same thing there and then I caught what I was about to say and that would have been a problem. And Brian would have been like, you're never coming back, understandably. Uh, But this is the thing that Jesus picks up too. Uh, In Matthew chapter seven and in some other places, he talks about this idea uh, of people who have been following after him, who have been showing up and listening to his teaching, who have been, you know, they've eaten miracle bread. Jesus took, you know, five loaves of bread and two fish and turned it into a whole meal and people got to eat of that. They were experiencing Jesus stuff. They were around people who were all in. They like, you think you've had a cool worship experience. They ate bread that didn't exist before Jesus prayed for it. Crazy. And he still looked at those people and he said, hey, is it shaping who you are? Or are you deceiving yourselves? He says, hey, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's the one who does the will of my father. That's heavy. And so James, when he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, because that's deceiving yourself. I mean, he's right in line with Jesus, what he has to say. So are you a doer of the word? Well, Zach, I don't know. What's it mean to be a doer of the word? Great question. Uh, Scott McKnight is a New Testament scholar, uh, and he wrote a big old commentary in the book of James, and I found it to be tremendously helpful. It's his fault that I almost talked to you guys about Jewish rabbinical literature. Sorry about that. But he had this quote, and I thought it was really helpful in understanding what this looks like. And if you've been around for college life as they've walked through James chapter one, this is gonna sound pretty familiar. He says, to be a hearer and a doer in the context of where we're at right now is to be the person who perseveres into moral formation, James chapter one, verses two through four, who seeks after God's wisdom in trials, chapter one, verse five, who knows that the poor will be exalted, the rich rendered powerless, nine through 11, who avoids impulses towards violence to establish God's will, who pursues God's justice and meekness and receptivity, and who is shaped in the context of God's first fruit, the messianic community. And we could add into that based on the the scripture that we've read through a couple times tonight, uh, that the person who is a hearer and a doer is the one who is quick to listen, but slow to speak, who is uncontrolled by their anger, but who has a a, a rein on their temper. The one who is being uh, a hearer and doer is the one who uh, 
I lost my place. I'm so sorry. The one who is a hearer and a doer is the one who has control over their tongue, who doesn't just lash out in anger as soon as they're offended, who has a tight rein on the words that they say and how they affect other people. The one who is a hearer and a doer is the one who cares for widows and for orphans, who goes out of their way to make this world a little bit more like God's kingdom. The one who's a hearer and a doer is the one who is being shaped and formed into the image of Jesus. And this is the point that James really starts going after here in chapter one and that he's gonna keep going after throughout the whole book of James. That as a follower of Jesus, the end goal is to know him and to be like him. That as a follower of Jesus, you should be becoming more like him. That what Jesus is leading you to, that's the idea of following is that you're being led that what Jesus is leading you to is a lifestyle that looks more and more and more like his does. And so the real question is this. Are you being formed in the image of Jesus or are you deceiving yourself? That may feel a little bit harsh. That may feel a little bit too black and white. But for James, there's just not gray in this issue. You're either being formed more deeply into the image of Jesus, becoming a person of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, or you're kidding yourself. And to be clear, I'm, I'm talking to those of you in the room who claim some level of allegiance to the way of Jesus, who uh, would say to some extent that you are a follower of Jesus. And like Brian said, this is a place where you are welcome to be here regardless of where you're at with your faith. And if you're in the room tonight going, I'm not deceived, I know exactly what I think about Jesus. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. But it would be a disservice of me to paint a picture of following Jesus to you that's not actually accurate to what it really is. So right now I'm really talking to those of you guys who are like, hey, I'm, I am a follower of Jesus. And I have a feeling there's probably quite a few of you because as I drove over here tonight, I was like, this is gross. And I do not wanna be going right now. I would much rather be in my pajamas on my couch watching a Christmas movie. And so I'm assuming that there's a pretty high percentage of you guys who braved the weather tonight to be here who would say that to some extent, you have dedicated your life to following after Jesus. So my question is, are you being formed in the image of Jesus or are you deceiving yourself? Because the reality is, it's a reference back to our friend, Alfred Kane. Whether we wanna admit it or not, a lot of us, I mean, we'd rather just deceive ourselves. We wanna be fooled, right? Because actually being shaped and formed in the image of Jesus, that, that, comes, with some, that comes with some consequences. That comes with some, some real reality to it. Being shaped and formed in the image of Jesus might mean I gotta give up a habit that I've got. It might mean I need to really take a look at the people that I'm spending my time with and allowing to shape and form me. It might mean that I have to deal with that self-righteous spirit that I've carried with me for a long time. That's me. Man, actually being shaped and formed in the image of Jesus, it comes with some cost. It comes with some cost to my status. It comes with some cost to what I have to do with my time. It comes with some surrendering of who's in control of my life. It comes to me having to deal with some reality of what me and my boyfriend and my girlfriend have been up to and actually taking a hard look at what Jesus says my life should look like. 
Man, being shaped and formed into the image of Jesus, it comes with some cost. It's a lot easier just to be fooled. It's a lot easier to get into a place where, oh, oh no, no, no. I'm watching closely. I'm watching closely. Man, I can argue the finest points of theology with anybody. I'm watching closely. I spend every night of the week at a different small group. I've got my college life group. I've got my BYX group. I've got my whatever your thing is group. Every single night I'm at a different group. Cool. Again, I've got all the right podcasts. I've read all the right books. You should see my Bible app. I have so many reading plans done, it's crazy. I'm watching closely. I wanna encourage you to watch carefully. Don't get so fixated on knowing the right stuff, on being at the right places, on having the right friends, on knowing the right answers. Instead, take a step back and look at the bigger picture. Who are you becoming? I mean, is all the head knowledge in the world, is it actually changing your heart? Is it actually changing who you're becoming? Those things are good. They're important. It matters that you know scripture. It matters that you know what God says. It matters that you listen to the word, but it also matters that when you listen to the word, that it changes who you are, that it changes the way that you live, that it begins to shape you and form you into a person who looks more and more like Jesus. Are you becoming a person who is forming into the image of Jesus or are you deceiving yourself? That's the question I want to leave you with tonight. The band's going to come up. We're going to sing one more song. And as they do, I I want to ask one last question. Because maybe as you're sitting there tonight, you're going, you know what? I think I'm deceiving myself. I think I'm deceiving myself. So the question is, how do I become a person who is being formed into the image of Jesus? And that's a big question. And there's a million ways to answer that. And I know for a fact that Brian and Abby would love, love to spend hours with you talking about that. I would love to let them. But I will say uh, this, to answer that question a little bit simply, There's a reason that as James is talking about self-deception, as he's talking about this idea of being someone who listens to the word and doesn't do anything about it and is deceiving themselves into thinking that they've actually, you know, started actually following Jesus. There's a reason that he turns to a metaphor of looking into a mirror. That's because James understands that we are formed by the things that we look at. That when we fix our gaze on something, it has the power to begin shaping who we are. So how do I become a person who's being formed in the image of Jesus? Well, the first step is to look at him. To look at him. To fix your eyes, to fix your gaze on the person of Jesus. And ask him, help me become more like you. 
And Lord, I I want to know you. I don't wanna settle for just knowing facts about you. I don't wanna settle for having this cool experience that like sort of makes me feel cool things about you. I don't wanna settle for showing up on a Monday night with people who know you, thinking that I can ride off of their spirituality and just like go all together, do this thing. I wanna actually know you. I wanna actually become someone who lives like you, who walks the way that you walked who loved people the way that you loved people, who walks through life with the kind of peace and joy that you walk through life with Jesus. I wanna know you. And so, yeah, that means we're gonna read scripture. It means we're gonna you know, look deeply into the word of God to see who he is. And then we're gonna ask him, would you help my heart become more like your heart? Would you begin to make my actions look more like your actions? It might mean you gotta invite some people, maybe even the ones sitting around you, people that you know, people that you trust to say, hey, look, I don't think that I'm actually pursuing after the things of Jesus. I think I'm just showing up and letting myself hear the right stuff so that I can think and feel like I'm actually becoming somebody, but I don't think I'm actually being changed. So would you help me look at the parts of my life that I'm not submitting to Jesus? And would you really call me out on that? Would you really invite me into a transformative relationship with each other where we start becoming more people who become more and more like Jesus? It's a long process. It's a lifelong process. It includes things like spiritual practices. It includes things that I know Brian and Abby are gonna dig into more and more with you guys but becoming people who look like Jesus starts by looking at Jesus together and by asking him to transform our hearts. Are you being formed in the image of Jesus or are you deceiving yourself? We're gonna sing one last song together. uh, And it's, I don't think it's a song that's super familiar uh, in college life, but it's a really simple song and it's a response song. And I just wanna encourage you to respond in this song however you want to. That could be singing, it might be sitting, it might be talking to a friend and asking them a hard question or telling them the truth about something that you need to talk to them about. I don't know where you're at. Whatever response is great. But it's a song that talks about looking at Jesus. It says, caught up in your presence, I just wanna sit here at your feet. Um, I'm caught up in a holy moment, I never wanna leave. I'm not here for blessings, you don't owe me anything. More than anything that you can do, I just want you. But it's really the, the verse of the song that I think really encapsulates this idea of becoming someone who's not just listening, but actually doing. Because the song goes, I'm sorry for when I've just gone through the motions. I know that's been me. I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. And then it goes back in. I just want to sit here at your feet. I never want to leave. I just want you. Maybe becoming a person who's formed in the image of Jesus starts with singing that song as a prayer tonight. But I want to pray for you and then we're going to sing together. And then Brian will come up and share a few thoughts with us. Lord, we love you. Father, we want to be people who love you more. So Father, I pray tonight uh, for the students of college life that they would become people who are deeply shaped and formed into the image of Jesus. I pray that we would not be hearers of the word and not doers, but Lord, that we would allow your word to sink deeply into our hearts, to transform us on the inside and Lord, to move out into the way that we interact with others in the world. Lord, I pray that there would be a group of college students in Knoxville, Tennessee, who would look like Jesus and who would reflect who you are to the world around them. 
who would know what it means to walk with you. Lord, we're not asking for perfection. We know that's not the goal. But Lord, we do wanna be more like Jesus. We wanna be a people who are shaped and who are formed, who over the course of our lifetimes look back and see the way that you have transformed us at our very core into people who look and who live a little bit more like you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We love you, Jesus. Amen.